think we have a song, right? Okay. All right. Well, that's up to you. We can do that, and then you come on up. Uh, Brother Paul Crow's been in evangelism for a number of years now, and he's been, of course, here. It's no stranger to us, so I appreciate them coming by. I always told him one of the few people that always has an opening in our pulpit, amen, because we are always a blessing to us. So you come and give us the word, if you would, please. Decided against the song because of microphone trouble. <laughs> I decided against the song just because I was afraid that people might not be able to hear through the live stream and all that. So let's just get into the Word of God. Can we do that? And I want to direct our attention this evening to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 in the Word of God. I'll give you an opportunity to find that. The Lord has been very good to us. Uh, 2020 has been an unusual year. I don't have to tell you that, okay? You have all experienced that. And uh, for us, people ask, well, Brother Paul, have you had cancellations? Um, yes, we have. Our, our big mission trip to Asia was canceled. Uh, we were supposed to be in the Chinese province of Wuhan. And, no, just kidding. We weren't supposed to be there, but... Uh, we were supposed to be in the Philippines, and uh, that was canceled due to the reaction to the virus and so forth. Um, but I also, I did something I've never done before in 18 years of evangelism, Pastor Forsberg. I preached a revival meeting from the music room of my home in Mississippi. And with technology, we broadcast that into New York, New York City, that is, into Brooklyn specifically. And... Uh, I was never afraid to go into Brooklyn. I'm never afraid to go into New York City, but I was afraid that if I went there, they might not let me out. Um, there were a lot of states that were saying in that vicinity, if you have been to Brooklyn, you can't come through here. And uh, so uh, New York is a nice place, but I wouldn't want to live there, if you know what I mean. And so we, we did that for the first time, and now meetings are starting back again for us. I don't know if I did that or, or what that was, but... Uh, do we need to shed the code? Is that what needs to happen? We don't know either. All right. Well, we're just going to try it and see. I apologize for those of you watching at home for, and for those of you who are here for the random pops that we're seeing. Anyway, it's been a great year. We're on our way to Montana right now, and uh, we've got our snowshoes and all of that in case that, hap that uh, hits, and uh, I don't know what the snow is going to do, but uh, I know when we were in Miles City, Montana in October last year, it was 12 degrees. And uh, 12 degrees is a little cool for October, I thought. Um, they thought the same thing, and so I don't know what we're going to encounter this October, but we'll be in that area basically up until Christmas time. Psalm 91 is where we are. Let's, uh, let's direct our attention to the Word of God. Just uh, look with me at verse 1. Now, I'm not going to apologize for this, but I will tell you ahead of time, we will read the entire song. Maybe that's a little bit longer than what you're accustomed to, but it's all good. If we read the entire psalm, Brother Jeremy, at least the people will get something good, all right? Regardless of what else I may say, at least you'll get something good. So, let's read in verse 1. The Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. 
He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, these are such wonderful words, and I pray that you would open them to us as you opened the scriptures to the men on the road to Emmaus. I pray, Father, that we would understand what your word has for us, and I pray that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to come to my house in Mississippi, you would find in my library a section devoted to military history. Now, if you're not a military historian, that's fine. It's kind of a nerdy subject, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual to be someone who devours military history, but that's just kind of who I am. You could find books in that military history section that say, that have titles like, 50 Battles That Influenced the World. In that story, of course, there are 50 battles who are, whose stories are briefly related there. And according to the author, the outcome of these battles had a great influence upon world history. I'm sure there would be people that would uh, disagree with the author's choice of 50 battles that influence the world. But one thing is certain. In those battles, there was an objective, and one side and the other fought for that objective. One side won the battle and thus won the objective. Now, I would have you to understand that tonight... While there is no military conflict taking place, as far as I know, anywhere in the state of South Dakota, yet there is a spiritual battle being waged for your mind and for mine. And here in Psalm 91, we have the psalmist speaking a little bit about this battle. Now you see, Brother Paul, as I read Psalm 91, I don't initially see terms of battle being used in the text here. And you'd be correct. But there are several aspects of this battle. You understand the power of your mind and, and what your mind is dwelling on is great. As a matter of fact, whatever you allow your mind to dwell on will, will eventually affect your actions, which will eventually form into habits, and pretty soon you have a whole lifetime that has been controlled all by the battle for your mind. I want to talk to you about winning the battle for your mind. There are several aspects of this battle that are given to us in the psalm. The first aspect is an aspect of dwelling. We see that, don't we? In verse 1, notice it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Now we'll stop right there and let's just consider that word dwell. It means to remain. It means to stay. It means to linger. And uh, I don't know about you, if you've ever lived at a place for a period of years and then moved... Has that ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me. I remember after we purchased our first house and we sold our first house and uh, we were loading up the truck, uh, my, my father-in-law said, oh, it's not a problem. I can get everything in there. And the rest of us looked at him and said, no, I think we got too much stuff. And you know what? There came a point in time when he said, yeah, you got too much stuff. We're going to have to repack the truck to get all your stuff in there. Now, if you're a man and you have ever moved, you have wondered to yourself, why do we even have this stuff? Haven't you? Okay. You've wondered that. And you've thought to yourself, why is it again that I have to take this out of the attic, have to take it down the stairs of the attic, take it up the ramp to the truck, put it in the moving truck so we can go to the new house, so I can get it out of the moving truck, take it back up to the new attic. Why do we need to do that? Why do we have so much stuff? All right, that's just a normal thing. But the, you have so much stuff because you have dwelled in a place. You've lived there. You've put down roots there. Now that is exactly what, the, what you would think it means, and that's exactly what it does mean in Psalm 91 and verse 1. However, he's not speaking of placing roots in South Dakota. He's not speaking of placing roots in Mississippi or wherever it, is, it might be. He is using the word dwell in a figurative sense because he says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. What does that mean? The secret place of the Most High is a place where I commune with God and God with me. That's the secret place of the Most High. 
It's available for all of us. It's available for you and me. And when he, when he says, dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, this is what he means. He means a conscious mental decision to allow or disallow certain thoughts in my mind. You ever start to think something said, wait, 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 stop, no, I don't even want to think that. You ever had that happen to you before? All of us have that happen to us before. All of us, now today in our culture, being closed-minded is, uh, is considered a bad thing, okay? Oh, you're some kind of a closed-minded nut. Every one of us closes our minds to certain ideas and concepts. Every one of us. And we should. We should. The Bible says that the blessing of God is upon a person who dwells in the secret place. What does that mean? That means in their thought life, the things that they dwell on mentally are the things of God. Maybe it's a verse you read this morning. Maybe it's a phrase you remember from Sunday's sermon. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a truth that the Lord has just randomly brought to your mind from the Scripture. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The, the point of the psalm is that's what dominates your thoughts. Now let me tell you, we live in a world today that has something called social media. Here's Brother Forsberg. When Brother Forsberg was saved, uh, back whenever it was, when he was 30 years of age, uh, we won't, we won't uh, conjecture on how many years, but there was no such thing as social media. If you wanted social interaction, you spoke to people face to face, without a mask, okay? That's the way you did it back then. And, uh, and, and so there was, there, was, there was that kind of interaction. Well, today, we have virtual friends that virtually like something that we texted or posted. They didn't hear us actually say it. They didn't catch our intonation. Maybe we were in jest. Maybe we were serious, but you can't really tell. And we have this thing called social media today. Now, I, I got to tell you, Pastor, I am trying for all the world not to be a curmudgeon with this thing of social media. But I don't like it. I like the old-fashioned way of actually talking to people. I enjoy that so much better. I enjoy talking about the crops. I enjoy talking about uh, what kind of year we've had. I enjoy talking with people about where they're from. That, that's the way I enjoy I enjoy seeing their facial reactions. That's why I totally disagree with the whole thing of masks. Let me just stop and say this, okay? I'm not trying to make this a political thing. I told your pastor this. I believe this. Forcing a child to wear a mask and forcing the people around that child to wear a mask is child abuse. And that's a strong statement. Let me back it up, if I may. 80% of human communication is nonverbal. Okay? If you don't believe that, watch a situational comedy some, sometime and see how many of the punchlines are not words at all. They're facial reactions. Because 80% of human communication is nonverbal. The last means of communication that we as human beings learn is the use of words as we develop as human beings. That's the last thing that we learn. You say, Brother Paul, what do you mean? Well, if you are a grandparent, you have gone to your grandchild when he or she was an infant, and you have communicated without words. What is that? It's communication, though, isn't it? It's just nonverbal. Children rely heavily upon nonverbal communication because it's all they knew for some time, and they're just now entering this world of words. Their study throughout school is learning, is teaching them to expand their ability to use words, so they still rely on nonverbal communication. And when you mask everyone around them, you rip that out of their hands, and so they're nervous. They don't know what people are wanting from them. I say it's child abuse. It's child abuse. I don't know how we got, how'd you get me on that? We need to go back to dwelling, though. Remaining, allowing thoughts to come or go. Today, social media knows the concept of mentally dwelling. They understand this. If you are a political person at any level and you are involved on social media, maybe you click a like 
on something that Chuck Schumer said. Okay? Maybe you clicked dislike on something that Chuck Schumer said. Okay? Doesn't matter. If you click that you like something that Chuck Schumer said, that goes into a computer and Facebook is going to feed you 50 more things similarly that Chuck Schumer said. If you click that you dislike something that Chuck Schumer said, that goes into a computer and algorithms feed you more of, of, of dislikes of that kind of thing. That's just the way social media is. And social media feeds you a steady diet of that so that they can get you to dwell on what you have already told them that you like. That's just the way it is. You ever notice how we have people today that seem to be more and more and more polarized? One of the reasons for that is, if they like something, all they get in the electronic world is more of what they like. They never even hear the other side because it's kept from them. Because social media knows what it means for you to mentally dwell. I don't have to tell you there is no blessing for the person who dwells on politics. There's no blessing for that. I, on my social media, if you were coming to my YouTube account, you would be inundated with woodworking videos on YouTube. That's what you would find. You brought up Paul Crow and all all of that, you would, you would find some political stuff, you would find some, some comedy, you would find some episodes of the Red Green Show that would be offered to me uh, because I, I, I happen to enjoy Red Green and the, the Possum Lodge. I, I know people, that the, the Possum Lodge. Anyway, anyway uh, and so I, I enjoy that, but mostly you would find woodworking shows. Why? My wife can't abide them. She says, they are saw videos. How in the world can you get anything out of watching a person run a piece of wood through a saw and cut it into two pieces? Is there anything more simple than that? That's so boring, and yet I watch them. I have spent hours watching them because I have learned things from them, and YouTube understands that, and they want me to dwell on what I have told them that I already like. I want you to know that there's no blessing from God promised to the person who dwells on woodworking videos. But there is a great blessing promise to the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Notice what happens. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Nobody was looking for any shade tree today. But let's go back to last week. Can we do that? There were some people that had been out working, and uh, it was hot, and the sun was beating down on them. And you know, they, just said, they decided, I think I'm going to get a drink of water, and I think I'm going to ease under this tree for some shade. We know what the shadow is like. We're grateful for shade trees. We're, 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 we're thankful for all of those things. And the Bible says, in the midst of difficult times, the man or woman that makes the decision, my mind is mentally going to dwell upon the things of God, that person decides I'm going to camp out under the shadow of the Almighty God. Dwelling. Notice, dwelling goes on. Look at verse 2. I'm, I promise you the rest of the psalm is going to go faster than verse 1. Notice verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. So the psalmist says, he says, it's a good thing to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. It's a good thing to dwell in the secret place. And I'm just going to say this, God is my refuge. What's a refuge? A refuge is a place where you go in times of inclement weather. When the weather is bad, you go into a place of refuge. I remember a time when my dad and I, one of the last times we went striper fishing in Lake Hartwell before he moved from South Carolina to Indiana. And we were out on the lake, everything was going great, the fish were biting, and all of a sudden a storm popped over the mountains. We zipped into a little boat shed out in the water, and whoever built the boat shed didn't put their boat in it. We were grateful. We eased under there, we couldn't talk because it had a tin roof, and the, the rain was so loud on the tin roof, but at least we had a refuge. And the psalmist said, there are some times of inclement weather. There are some times of bad circumstances. There are some times when things happen that I can't necessarily control. And in those times, I need a place to get out of the elements. And that place where I can get out of the elements is the God of heaven. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. But not only my refuge, 
by fortune. For you see, sometimes the problems of life do not come from negative circumstances. They come from the attacks of people. A refuge is a place to get in out of the inclement weather, but a fortress is a place where you must go when you're attacked by people. It doesn't matter for the psalmist. He said, the Lord is my, is, is, is my fortress as well as my refuge. When people attack, when they say the most hurtful things, when they say the most unthinking, illogical, and yet very stinging words, where do I go? The psalmist says, just like I'd go for a refuge, so I go to the Lord for a fortune. He is my God. In Him will I trust. Now, I want you to notice, that's, that's the dwelling aspect of this battle for your mind. But I want you to notice there's a deliverance aspect in the battle for your mind. He speaks of it in verse 3. Notice what he says. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. My, my pastor has a brother-in-law who lives in the state of Ohio. This particular brother-in-law is, uh, well, he's a complete idiot. That, that's just who he is, okay? Now, that's not my pastor. I'm not saying my pastor is an idiot, but his brother-in-law is. His brother-in-law long ago became bored with the hunting laws of the state of Ohio. And so he feels that he has not fulfilled his, his years, um, I don't know, lot in life unless he has somehow violated the laws. I believe it was last year, maybe it was the year before, the Ohio uh, Fish and Game or Department of Natural Resources or whatever they call themselves, they had him hemmed in. There was no way that he could get from his uh, tree stand back to his truck without being apprehended by the officers of the state of Ohio. So, knowing that they were there, he buried his rifle in the ground and walked five miles out the backside to get back to his home and just left his truck sitting there with the officers surrounding Okay? Well, now, this guy, I, I don't know why he just disobeys the laws all the time, but that's what he does. One of the ways he disobeys the laws is he constructs snares for white-tailed deer. Okay? Now, typically what you snare is maybe a bird or perhaps a rabbit or something like that. But snaring a white-tailed deer, that's, that's just a little bit above and beyond. But that's what he does. And uh, so the, the, the concept of a snare is like this. A snare, first of all, distracts so it can then destroy. Okay, That's what a snare does. And usually, a snare detracts with free food. That's usually the way a snare detracts. Normally, a wild animal must kind of exert some effort to find food and all of that. But a snare says, ah, skip the effort. The food is right here laid out for you. And so the animal, distracted from its normal activities, goes over, checks out the food or whatever it may be, the bait or whatever, and then they are snared. They lose their freedom, and sometimes they lose their life. Okay, that's the concept of a snare. And so uh, my pastor's brother-in-law snares white-tailed deer. They go over, hmm, I wonder what this is. They start eating the bait, and all of a sudden, they're grabbed, and this sapling, and suddenly there's this deer dangling in the air. Now, I don't know how he figures out that he's caught a deer in his snare, but he comes along and puts the poor thing out of its misery. I can't imagine a worse way to die. I mean, first you get a headache because God did not intend white-tailed deer to hang feet first from trees, right? But we can say what we want to about this brother-in-law of my pastors. The reality is there are spiritual snares all around us. What does the snare do spiritually? Well, it first of all distracts, and then it destroys. That's kind of scary for you and for me. Except that God's promise is to deliver us from the snare of the fowl. You say, Brother Paul, you mean to tell me that God is going to deliver me from traps that Satan has set? That's exactly what I mean to tell you. All of that, I believe, is based upon dwelling in the secret place, but part of this battle for the mind is the promise of God's deliverance. The Bible says, Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and 
from the noisome pestilence. <laughs> wow. What words? Noisome pestilence. When folks begin to get a disease, it, makes a, it causes a stir, doesn't it? Do I even have to say this in 2020? All right. Now, we, we're in the midst of what some would describe as a, a, a planned, uh, excuse me, pandemic. Uh, a pandemic, and they're, they're, we're wanting us to believe that uh, people are dying every seven seconds. I heard that statistic today. I don't believe it, but uh, that's, that's what I was told today, that someone has asserted every seven seconds someone dies from COVID-19. And you know, I don't think COVID-19 is nearly that deadly. According to new numbers released by the CDC, was it last week? there's a 99.96% survival rate for COVID-19. Uh, I think I'm going to take my odds with that. 99.96% survival rate. So, I think we understand now, as we look back, that a lot of, can we say, everything about COVID-19 has been exaggerated, the numbers have been wrong, and all of that. But let's just go back in our minds a few months ago when we did not have these numbers. Pastor, I have not been, of all the disappointments of 2020, the number one disappointment has been believers who have been motivated by fear. That's been my number one disappointment. Because as I read Psalm 91, there's no reason to fear. You see, Brother Wes, I'm invincible until God's done with me. doesn't mean I'm going to be stupid, but it means I'm not going to be motivated by fear. I'm not, I'm not going to live that way. Why? Because surely He shall deliver thee from the noisome pestilence. Verse 4, He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. The, Bi the Bible uses the analogy of a, of, a, a, of a hen, maybe it's a duck or maybe it's a chicken or whatever, but a hen that gathers the young under, under her wings and under her feathers. There are stories from the American frontier, the American prairie, of a barn that is burnt down on top of a mother chicken, and yet her chicks survived because they were under her wings. And you kick the body of the poor dead hen and out come all these little peepers. There they come. Why? Because they found refuge under the wings of that mother animal. And God says, God says, He wants to shelter us in the same way. Wait, wait, wait. He's not done. Notice again, verse 4. He shall cover thee with His feathers. Under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Oh, do you understand? Satan is trying to throw darts at us all the time. He's trying, to, he's trying to wound us. He's trying to disable us. And he's trying to do so by weakening our faith. And yet, both in the Old and New Testament, the Bible says, you and I have a shield, a place where the darts can strike, but they do no damage. A place where the blows can fall, but they do not wound. And that, that shield in the New Testament is a shield of faith. Here, in Psalm 91, it's the truth of the Word of God. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. What do I do when, uh, what do I do when people attack? What do I do when storms come? What do I do when there's, uh, there's disease and the fear of the unknown. I stand on the truth of the Word of God. That's what I do. When I stand in that realm of truth, it shields me from those attacks. Wow. Deliverance. Not only a dwelling, but a deliverance. The Bible says, His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. I want you to notice, not only is there a dwelling, not only is there deliverance here, but there's a demeanor spoken of in Psalm 91. A demeanor, what do I mean? An attitude, a, a mindset. Something happens in me when I dwell in the secret place. Something happens in me. Well, what happens in me? Notice verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid. That's what happens in me. Have you seen people today that have been running scared? I have. Doesn't make any sense, especially if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you're dwelling in the secret place, it produces an attitude, and that attitude is described by these words 
Thou shalt not be afraid. You see, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't need to cower in fear. We don't need to be in terror. We don't need to shrink back and say, oh no, what am I going to do? No, 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 no. If, if your mind and your thinking is governed by that, let's just settle it right now, biblically, that mindset doesn't come from God. Well, where does it come from? Well, it might come from the world. And it might come from the devil. And it might come from the flesh. But it, cert- it certainly doesn't come from God. Because dwelling produces a demeanor. He sh- or thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night. What's terror by night? That's what I can't see and what I don't quite understand. You ever been hit by those kind of things? I can't quite see it. I don't quite understand it. But man, here it comes. And yet the Bible says, though you don't see it, though you don't understand it, you need not fear it when you're dwelling in the secret place. Nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Arrow that flieth by day, I can kind of see it coming or at least see the direction from whence it came. I understand a little bit more about it. That doesn't mean it's any less destructive, but it does mean that I can see it coming. Sometimes you have no idea where these things come from. You have no idea how they get there. That's the terror by night. Sometimes you can see it coming. You know where it's coming from. That doesn't make it any less destructive, but man, here it comes. It doesn't matter when you're dwelling in the secret place because that produces a demeanor that says, Thou shalt not be afraid. Wow. Wow. What tremendous power there is in this song. Nor thou shalt not be afraid for the arrow that flieth by, or terror by night, the arrow that flieth by day, verse 6, nor thou shalt not be afraid for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. He mentioned disease twice already in this song. Why? I want you to understand this. There is no government that has ever existed that can ever protect its people from disease. Can, 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 we, can we disagree on that? The governments of the world have armaments that are primarily designed to attack people. People who would come and try to destroy and all of that. They have intelligence and all of that. But there is no government that can prevent a disease. Prevention of disease is uniquely the realm of Almighty God. And I'm sad, to see, I'm sad to report what I see, Brother Jeremy, but we are living in a nation having abandoned their belief in God are now grasping at anyone who can protect them from disease. So some have turned to government. It is absurd because protection from disease is uniquely the realm of God. But make no mistake... It is God's domain, and He's in the business of protecting. So that thou shalt not be afraid for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Pestilence and darkness. Again, unknown. I don't understand. How does it spread? Will it spread from my grandkids to me? I don't know. How is it going to? I don't know these things. And you don't know these things. You don't have to know these things. All you have to know is... I am in God's hands and He will protect me. And when I have that settled through spending time in the secret place, I have a demeanor that's the one that is one of courage. It's not one of cowardice. And I can go forth saying, I will not be afraid. That's what Psalm 91 is all. Verse 7. Let, let's finish verse 6. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Again, you have unknown and known things. Where I live, there has been talk about riot. I live in the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee, and there's been talk about riots. So far, uh, to my knowledge, nobody has burned down any businesses in Memphis. Um, there are a good deal of murders that take place in Memphis, on, sadly, on a regular basis. Memphis at one time was the second most dangerous city in America behind Chicago, and sometimes it slips to third, and sometimes it goes back to second, and the numbers just kind of vary. But uh, honestly, unless you're involved in the drug traffic in Memphis, it's, you're probably going to be okay. But there's a lot of 
destruction that has wasted at noonday in a lot of cities across America? What about Portland, Oregon? What about Minneapolis, Minnesota? What about Seattle, Washington? What about other places that uh, maybe are not quite so notorious? Oakland, California. People chanting death to America as they're burning and looting and destroying. Let me tell you, these are dark days. But let me, let me also say, if you dwell in the secret place, you need not fear. Verse 7. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. I used to think that that was speaking of somebody like Adino the Esnite. Adino the Esnite lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. That's a bad dude. I want him on my team, okay? That, that, talk about a force multiplier. That guy is crazy. He takes a spear and he kills 800 men in one fight. Wow. So I used to think that that was the kind of thing that verse 7 is talking about, but that's not what verse 7 is talking about. Verse 7 is not talking about a thousand enemy soldiers dying here and ten thousand enemy soldiers dying here. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about a thousand of my side dying right here and ten thousand of my fellow comrades at my right hand. That's what he's talking about. Do you understand something? If we were to compare the circumstances of Psalm 91 to the circumstances of 2020, it's really laughable. Psalm 91, it's a whole lot worse. It's a whole lot worse. A thousand shall fall at thy side. What killed them? Well, I don't know. Ten thousand at thy right hand. How did they die? Well, I'm not really sure. But know this, though a thousand fell over here, and though ten thousand fell over here, it shall not come nigh thee. What is it? Whatever took the lives of these thousands isn't going to touch you. Well, the psalmist now, you don't get that kind of confidence from Fox News. You don't. You don't get that kind of confidence from... I, I don't watch Fox News, but I, I, I have some people that I follow online, and you know I get my news from uh, sources other than television and so forth, but it, I, Brandon Tatum doesn't offer that. Any of the people that I could name, none of them offer that. This only comes from spending time in the secret place. And you're dealing in verse 7 with someone who is seeing the awfulest carnage all around. But guess what? God delivered him through it all. I'm going to tell you who comes to my mind. I can't tell you the whole story. You're just going to have to think through it and just kind of meditate on all the ramifications on your own time. But Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the embodiment of Psalm 91 in verse 7, was he not? A thousand fell at his side, ten thousand at his right hand. These were not Chaldeans falling, these were Jews falling. You want to read about the destruction that Jeremiah faced? Read the book of Lamentations. And when you read something and think to yourself, that is awful. Is that, is that really saying what I think it is? It probably is. You see, in the book of Lamentations, you're, you're going to read about the most egregious practice of cannibalism that, that you can ever think of. And it happened because God's people had sinned against Him and the, the punishment against their sin was so awful. You can read about it in Lamentations. It's there. It's there. But none of those things came nigh Jeremiah. A thousand fell at his, at his side. Ten thousand at his right hand. But it didn't come nigh him. And that's the promise of God for the man or woman that will abide, that will dwell in the secret place. Verse 8, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. So there is a dwelling in this passage. There is a deliverance in this passage. There is a demeanor in this passage. But I want you to notice, there is what I call a discipling in this passage. This is very fascinating to me. Notice the pronouns in verse 9. This is very interesting. What, is, what, is, what does he say? Because thou, second person, because thou hast made the Lord which is my, first person, my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. So here we have it. Pastor, there is a camaraderie here. The Bible says, you've made this decision to make God your refuge. I've made this decision to make God my refuge. 
So here we have two people who have come to the same positive conclusion, and that conclusion is, I am going to turn and look to God, but the pronouns used, there's a... There's a, a bit of a fellowship there. There's a bit of a camaraderie there. Maybe, maybe you made that decision first and convinced me to do it. Maybe I made that decision first and convinced you to do it. Maybe we both came to that decision together, but regardless of when that took place in your life, regardless of when it took place in my life, in verse 9, there is an undeniable camaraderie, two people with the same belief coming together and marching forward in fellowship. That is what he's talking about. Do you understand? When you decide to abide and to dwell in the secret place, you'll influence others to do so as well. And hear me, that potential for influence is one of the reasons we have church. What do I mean by church? I do not mean tuning in online. Not what I mean. Now, if you're... If you're destitute and all you can do is tune in online, I'm not saying that you're in sin, but I will say this. If you are using the online capabilities of this church or any other church as a reason to forsake the assembly, you're not right with God. I believe that. You say, Brother Paul, I don't know. I mean, can't we assemble online as easily as we can in person? Well, other than, besides just answering that with a solid no, let, let's just go to the Scripture for a minute. Can we do that? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 25, that we are to not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But we are to be exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, let me ask you, in the days when you were online only, I don't know, I don't know if, there were ever, if there was ever a week where the Bible Baptist Church of Brookings, South Dakota was online only, I don't know that. Maybe it was. Early on, we, we didn't know nearly as much about what's going on as we know now. Now we know it's just a wicked power grab, and, the, and we're kind of ticked off about it, all right? But uh, early on, we didn't know that. We didn't know there was something going on in China. People were dying by the millions and anybody that tried to tell us the truth about it disappeared and uh, we just hope to God they're even still alive. We, don't, we didn't know. So in those days when we were online only, answer me this question if you will. How many people did you help through tuning in to a servant online? You say, Brother Paul, what do you mean? How many people did I help? Well, you see, the context of Hebrews 10 and verse 25 talks about, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, you see, as a matter of some is and so forth. But the Bible says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. If you were to find the average churchgoer in Brookings, South Dakota, they would describe to you that they are looking for a church that gives them something. Well, I want to I feel connected to people, and I want to feel connected to God and worship, and uh, I want this, and I want that. And they would, the average person, let's just expand it, South Dakota, the United States, and the world, the average person that goes to church is looking to receive. But the Bible says the motivation for going to church is so that we can give. Hear it from the words of the Apostle Paul. Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. When we were online only, how many hands that hang down did you lift up? How many feeble knees did you strengthen? Answer me that. How many people did you see and did you encourage? You, can, you say, well, Brother Paul, I dropped them in encouraging. No, well, maybe you did, but I would suggest to you that you can do it far more readily when we meet the old-fashioned Bible way than you can when we, when we meet in a virtual online way. That's why I'm in favor of churches opening up. All across this country, I'm happy to report to you that across this country, independent fundamental Baptists had been leading the charge to keep their churches open or to reopen sooner than everybody else. Why? Well, at first, we, the only reason we shut down is we didn't want multitudes of people to die. We didn't know. 
Now, we have a little bit more data, and we become convinced from the God of heaven, uh, we're not shutting down. God wants us to meet, and we will meet. And I'm just going to tell you, if there is no good reason for you to remain at home and confine your church to a live stream, if you don't have a good reason for that, like a health reason and my I can't get out or I'm nursing homebound or something like that, if you don't have a good enough reason, you need to be in the house of God. It's just that simple. Why? Because there's a discipling aspect. There's a camaraderie here. When I dwell in the secret place, it affects Brother Forsberg. And when Brother Forsberg uh, dwells in the secret place, it spills over to Brother Motter. And on and on it goes. And that happens when we meet together. That's in the, the New Testament. But here it's hinted at in the Old Testament. And there's a discipling aspect. You've done it. I've done it. We've both done it together. And when we are together, we're stronger because your faith builds mine and my faith builds yours. That's what he's talking about. The Bible says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Interesting, he mentions disease again. Or, verse 11, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. What does he say? I don't believe this, this passage of Scripture is promising that we'll never get sick. You're looking at a preacher that came down with the COVID-19. Don't worry, it's a long time ago. But I had it. You know how God delivered me from it? By allowing me to get the virus and getting immunity to it. So if I can give you a little bit of a southern expression and describe my attitude toward COVID-19, here it is. You ready? Ain't scared. Ain't scared. Been there, done that. Got the antibody. <laughs> I did. And you know what? Sometimes God has a way of delivering us not from it so much as delivering us through it. We find that in American history. We find a young George Washington who came down with smallpox. But he got over it and, and he developed an immunity to it so that when it went through his army, he need not fear. And you know what? The God of heaven has a way of delivering. Maybe deliverance doesn't look like what you think it should look like. Maybe it doesn't look like what I think it should look like. But it's God's best and it's God's way of delivering. And knowing that God does that, I need not cower in fear, but I can go on in absolute confidence in His care for me. So much so, verse 13, Thou shalt tread upon the lion. Your kitty cat has an attitude. It does. It has an attitude. Someone put it this way, cats were once worshipped as a god and they've never gotten over it since. Imagine if your kitty cat weighed 500 pounds. Those are the cats in Africa. We call them lions. I, I bought a book recently. It's, it's great for reading to your teenage boys right before they go to bed. It's called Death in the Long Grass. It's true stories out of Africa from a man who is a professional hunting guide in Africa for I think 30 years or something like that. Brother Dwight Smith was reading it to his oldest, Nathaniel, who is, I believe, 19 years of age. And as he was reading this story about lions, his hand accidentally brushed up against the plastic of the truck in which they were sitting. <laughs> it caused him to jump. Why? Because when you read the truth about lions, they are, they are exceedingly frightened. But the Bible says when... You're dwelling in the secret place. You have absolute confidence. You can tread upon the line. You can tread upon the adder. What's the adder? I don't think you have any in South Dakota. You may have a few rattlesnakes. But the adder is something different. The adder is, we have moccasins in Mississippi. They're scary. Occasionally, they will chase you. They're poisonous. And they're mean. Swamp people, sometimes they'll drop out of trees into your boat as you're going through the swamp. And guys that know the swamp would sooner blow a hole in the bottom of the boat trying to kill that snake 
and then just bail water the rest of the time until they get back to the boat ramp than they would have that snake in the boat. And there's a, there's a bit of a fright, there's a bit of fear on the adder. But God says, when you're dwelling in the secret place and you know it's God's will to proceed, you just proceed. You don't let it bother you. That's the attitude of confidence that comes from the secret place. I, we're going to close. Obviously, there's only three verses left. But look, in verse 14, the speaker has been man all the way up, all the way through the song. A man has said, if you do this, if you dwell in the secret place, all these good things will happen. He, God's going to do this for, for thee, and so forth. But in verse 14, all of a sudden, the speaker becomes God Himself. Notice what he says. Because He. Who's that? Well, that could be anybody. That could be you. It could be me. Because He hath set His love upon me, therefore will I deliver Him, God said. <laughs> you mean to tell me if I walk with God, God's going to deliver me? Yes! Yes! It's the promise of God. What that deliverance looks like may, may not be what you would choose or what I would choose, but when we look back on it with the, with the 2020 hindsight that all of us enjoy, then we will say, it wasn't what I would have chosen, but it was deliverance indeed. Because He had set His love upon me, therefore will I deliver Him. I will set Him on high because He hath known my name. Wow. Deliverance, promotion, verse 15. Answered prayer, He shall call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Wow. Promise from God for you and for me. If only we'll find our way back to that secret place. Decide to dwell. Verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Battle is going on for your mind and for mine. We allow thoughts to come. We force thoughts to go. One man put it this way. I heard him preach in Spanish at a youth camp in Guatemala. 26 years of age. Brilliant preacher. He said, your mind is like a great tree. Into that tree there come thoughts. Some of the thoughts just come briefly and then fly away as birds. Those thoughts like birds come into that tree, but every now and again, there's a pair of birds that comes into that tree and they make a decision, I'm going to build a nest in this tree. And so those, those birds, they come and they go more often than all the others. And they build that nest and they remain there and they stay there. And uh, Sometimes they leave, but they frequently come back. And he said, those are the thoughts that tend to dominate our minds and our thinking. What am I telling you? I'm telling you if your mind is a great tree and the thoughts that come there are birds, the, the birds that build the nest need to be the birds that are rooted in who God is and what He has said and what He has done and what He has promised. That needs to dominate our thinking so that we can win the battle for our mind. 